Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Amen. All right. Well, we're continuing Blue Table Talk. Next week will be the last week, but has anybody enjoyed this series? I originally thought it was going to go maybe about six weeks, but the Lord just kept pushing me along. So it just seemed like every time I thought we might be close to being done, there'd be something else in my heart that I know we were supposed to talk about. So we're going to jump into a different topic today. Of course, in this series, we've been talking about family life. We understand that although God wants family life to be one of the best part of our lives, that for a lot of people, that just isn't the case. And one of the reasons why that is is because we've been affected with ideas about family that did not come from God, that came from the world around us. In fact, the name of this series, Blue Table Talk, is really uh, a result of a series called Red Table Talk that had become popular for a season that espoused ideas about marriage and dating and, and parenting that simply don't work and are simply not God's way. And of course, uh, last week we talked about money, learned that money matters. And I hope you all had your money talks this week and are on the same page so that God can really prosper your family life, not only just by causing you all to be happy together, but also to get to a place where you are financially healthy. Today we're going to talk about blended families. And I actually thought about singing the song, We Are Family, but I decided not to do that because I... But, you know, uh, most of us are familiar with the concept of blended families, but I want to give you a definition. A blended family is any family unit where one or both parents come into the marriage with a child or children from a previous relationship. Any family unit where one or both parents come into the marriage with a child or children from a previous relationship. So what makes a blended family different than a traditional family is that this family begins with children in the home. And those children are from a previous relationship, right? How do we get blended families? Well, sometimes people have children out out of wedlock. In other words, they are not married to who they were having sex with and they become pregnant or the person they've been sleeping with becomes pregnant and a child is the result of that. Sometimes uh, people have children from a previous relationship or marriage where the other spouse passed away. Now they're a widow. And often uh, people, uh, we have blended families because one or both of the individuals who are entering this new marriage uh, had children from previous relationships or previous marriages. And there was a show a number of decades ago called The Brady Bunch. Anybody ever heard of The Brady Bunch? And The Brady Bunch was quite a hit maybe 40, 50 years ago. And I think one of the reasons why is because it was rare. That was a rare occurrence for there to be a blended family. But that is not the world we live in today. In fact, I'm going to quote a number of things from a book called Blending Families by Jimmy Evans today. I'm going to lean heavily on that more than I usually do when I'm teaching. And I really would encourage you, if you're a part of a blended family, that's a great book to read. And he says this, Today, about half of all families are blended families. And they deal with some unique challenges that non-blended families don't have to navigate. Most often, there is a history of pain and disappointment. There are likely feelings of guilt, shame, or regret. There are ex-spouses in the picture and financial obligations already in place. 
And most often there are precious children caught in the middle of it all, struggling with a lot of the same emotions that their parents are fighting to overcome. The dynamics can feel overwhelming, especially to those who go into the relationships unequipped and unprepared. Some of you may be hearing this right now and saying, that just described me and that just described my family life. So let's go to Malachi chapter 2 and we're going to take you on a bit of a journey today as we see what the Bible says about blended family so that your blended family can really sing, we are family and mean it. So Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15, God is talking to his people here and honestly, he's not pleased with them. He's telling them, why he's not pleased with them, why he's not receiving the offerings that the men are giving to him. And in verse 15, it says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? I like how the Amplified Bible says, why did God make you two one? The answer is godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. So notice a couple of things here. God, of course, is revealing that when a man and a woman become married, they are truly becoming one. And there are multiple scriptures that reveal that that is not only becoming one physically, and that's a part of it, obviously, but one spiritually. In Matthew chapter 19, the Bible says God joined them together. Uh, we'll see some other scriptures as well that talk about, you know, God making that man and that woman one. In fact, there's a scripture in Ephesians 5 that talks about how the man, when he's taking care of his wife, is really taking care of himself. So when God says they're one, he's, he really means they are one. In his eyes, there is something that happens on the day you enter into the marriage covenant. But then you can see something else here that's really interesting when he says, why did I make you one? And his answer is, because I wanted godly children. So one of the reasons why God created marriage is so that kids can grow up really in a stable, godly home and become godly seed. So God is thinking about the children, right? And you say, well, you know, children can come into the world without being a part of a godly home, without, you know, parents being together. That's true. But God is showing you here the reason why he created the institution of marriage is so that children can grow up in that environment because that is what is best for the children. And so that's, that actually is, is going to give them the best chance to become godly seed to become great people that are an asset to society and are enjoying their lives. And, and the statistics actually agree with this, that when you look at the difference between kids that grow up in two-parent homes and kids that don't, the kids that don't have a much higher rate of vices and, and, and uh, uh, criminal activity and emotional issues than those who have grown up in a home with two parents. So, God is thinking not just about the man and the woman when he puts them together. He's thinking about the children. And God is still thinking about the children and the home when the family is a blended family. And that's what makes it different, right? What makes it different in a normal marriage 
is in or, or traditional marriage or traditional marriage relationship is that children are already in the home on day one. Okay. Now let's take a moment. And let's talk about divorce for a moment because I think we need to talk about this. I want to take you to First Corinthians chapter seven and verse fifteen. You know, we read the scripture where. God said, I hate divorce. And if you study the rest of the context there, he's actually talking about the fact that those men were doing wrong to their wives. What they were doing was they were divorcing their wives for really any reason. Jesus had to address this in Matthew chapter 19. And then marrying women that didn't even serve their God. And so God says repeatedly to them, and you'll see this in the King James Version, that he dealt treacherously with them, that he did wrong to them, and God hates unjust divorce. He hates when one is doing the other wrong, or even when both are doing each other wrong. He hates it with a passion. Well, why? Well, we just heard about the children. But God also, of course, cares about the man and the woman. He knows what divorce does to people spiritually, emotionally, and financially, etc. But there is such a thing as biblically just divorce. And I want to touch on this from 1 Corinthians 7, 15. It says, but the, if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound. Notice those, that phrase there, no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Something that couples who were divorced and now are in a blended family sometimes struggle with is shame. They feel shame for the previous relationship breaking up. They feel shame for the impact on their children, and they bring those feelings of shame into the new relationship, and it creates problems. And Part of what will help you deal with that is to see how God sees things. So the first thing we can really see here is that divorce is not always both parties' fault. We've got this idea in the world, and you know, even Christians will say this, well, you know, if there's a divorce, it was really both their fault. Well, not necessarily. Uh, that's not even biblical. We just saw an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If the unbeliever decides, I don't want to be with you anymore, and the idea ultimately is because you're a believer, you want to live right. God says, you're no longer bound. They did that. You didn't do it. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus mentions how if they commit fornication, another word for that is adultery. That's a covenant-breaking act. You didn't do that. They did that. And some people will say, well, you know what? Well, they cheated on you. It must have been, you know, the, your fault. And they particularly will say this if a woman cheats on a man. Unfortunately, somehow or another, that we, we tend to think of it differently when the man cheats. But it's wrong when they both do it. And, you know, say, well, he must not have did this. He must not have did that. I'm sorry. Even if he wasn't the best husband, you didn't have to cheat. Affairs change the math. Because once you cheat, you are equally or even more wrong than they were. And uh, you have taken away even the opportunity for there to be improvement or reconciliation. And now you're really at the mercy of what your spouse is going to do. Because biblically, they have a right to end the marriage. See, in any marriage, both parties have flaws. Both can make mistakes. Both have areas to improve in. But those things don't have to lead to divorce. 
I mean, you can really, uh, uh, you can really work on those things. You can pray through those things. Those things usually lead to divorce because one party or the other chooses to take that road. But you know, there are people who divorce over things that other people have worked through for, you know, worked through five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. In fact, we live in a world today where, you know, the Jesus said, that, and, and 2 Timothy talks about this too, that people would get worse and worse and worse. And so there are things that people divorce over now that they never would have divorced over 20 years ago. There are things people do to each other now they never would have done 30, 40 years ago. But because society's norms have changed, what's happened is that people are, have less respect for marriage and then they do treachery to their spouse. You know, I saw this tweet, and I don't want to say the name of the individual, but if I did say their name, most of you would know who it is. And it was, uh, this individual was talking about their divorce and how they tried to frame it as though they graduated from their marriage. And how, you know, you know, at some point when you love each other, it, it sometimes you just, you know, the, the marriage doesn't work out and, and you graduate to another level. And, we live in a culture that has completely lost reverence for the marriage covenant. Marriage covenant. And so my point is that just because somebody has been divorced doesn't mean that they're at fault. It doesn't mean that they, you know, that sometimes they did do some things that, that caused a divorce. But I think we have to be very careful with the idea of, of causing Christians who've been divorced to be stigmatized. Because you don't know what caused that divorce. You don't, you might, well, I know, you, you know what you've been told. You don't always know. Sometimes, particularly when there are children involved, a spouse will not make public that the other spouse was cheating because it would hurt the children. So you're looking at them, oh, you shouldn't have been, it's your fault. And you don't know, they could have been, you know, they could have been a good husband or wife and their spouse cheated. I don't know about that, pastor. Well, Adam and Eve cheated on God. Did they not? They cheated on God. God said, just don't eat this. And of everything in the garden, they ate that. You mean to tell me God wasn't perfect? Judas cheated on Jesus. Well, there was a great husband or a great wife, then they never would have done that. Jesus was about a great, as great a leader as you could have. And Judas still betrayed him. Come on, people have free will. And if God has been victimized by free will, like he was in the Garden of Eden, surely people will be. So you got to be very careful putting your mouth on people because you don't know their story. And even if they are at fault, divorce is not the impardonable sin. Do they need to repent of that? Absolutely. Absolutely got to go before God and repent of it. But, you know, God forgives them of that sin. So why would then would we hold it over their head for the rest of our, their lives, sometimes while we're still sinning in other ways? What makes your sin any better than their sin? So I say all that to say, if you're somebody that is a product of divorce, your blended family is a product of divorce, do not let Satan or people shame you. Either it was a just action on your part or it was unjust and you've given it to Jesus and it's under the blood. It is washed away, moving to your new relationship as though it never happened. All right, so let's go, go to Genesis chapter two. Let's get back to the whole blended family issue overall. 
Pastor, you know, if somebody ends up divorced, they must have missed it. I got to say this because of us faith folk, because we so spiritual. I mean, spooky. I mean, spiritual. Well, they must have missed God. They should never marry them in the first place. Did Adam miss God and marry an Eve? Didn't God bring Eve to Adam? But then if he knew better, he heard the Holy Ghost. He would have known that Eve would have did this. Really? No, Eve has free will. Eve partake, partook of the fruit. And get this, if Adam had not partaken of the fruit with her, Eve would have been replaced. Even though she was God's choice for him. So just keep your mouth off of people. Because you don't know what you're talking about. All right, Genesis chapter 2. Somebody say, we are family. I would make you sing it to your neighbor, but some people might be mad by the time they get done hearing you sing. So, no. Genesis 2, let's go back to the beginning. Once again, we're talking about how a blended family is supposed to work. And it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is actually talking about the day Adam and Eve were married. We talked about this earlier in the series, how God walked Eve down the aisle to Adam. And at the end of this, God then says, this is how it's supposed to be from here on out. And one of the reasons why you know that is because he's talking about fathers and mothers when Adam and Eve didn't have a father or mother. So he's demonstrating this is how this is supposed to work from this day forward. And a man's supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And that's actually talking about emotional bonds. As well as priority in their life. And so we can see that's the plan of God for any marriage relationship. But the key here is the last phrase. And the two are united into what? One. So I mentioned I'm going to use a lot of Jimmy Evans stuff today, and he talks about a couple of laws of love, and the first one is a law of priority. Uh, your spouse comes before everybody else. The second one is the law of possession. And I'm going to read to you what he says. He says, Genesis 2.24 says that in marriage, husbands and wives become one. For that to happen, everything in the marriage must be shared. The only way two things can become one is through total surrender. So this means when we come into marriage, we must give everything we have to our spouse, including children from a previous marriage or relationship. It also means that we assume ownership of everything our spouse brings into the marriage, both assets and liabilities. In healthy, blended families, children are never seen as his or hers. They are always ours. So marriage is two becoming one in every way. Not just sexually, not even just financially like we talked about last week. It is becoming one in every way, which means that what belongs to me belongs to you the kids that came from me, it's like they came from you. The kids that came from you, it's like they came from me. The bond between a step parent or a bonus parent and their bonus child is actually stronger than the bond between that parent and a child they adopted. Because there's actually a spiritual component to it. 
because that person is, is one with their parent. So you see how God views a blended family. He sees that man and that woman as one, and he sees those kids, whether some of them came from another relationship, as, as, as belonging to both parents in that home as well. In practice, those kids actually have maybe three or four parents if the other spouse is married. All right? So then a man and his wife must choose to see themselves that way, to see themselves as one, and then to act as one. We talked last week about acting as one financially, act as one as parents. And I love what Psalm 133 says about unity in and of itself. It says in verse one, behold how good and how pleasant. Somebody say good. Somebody say pleasant. Anybody like things that are good? Anybody like things that are pleasant? Anybody not going to raise your hand no matter what I say? Anybody want a million dollars? Oh, there go all the hands. My goodness. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. And what's that word? Unity. If that's true of brothers dwelling together in unity, how good and how pleasant is it when spouses dwell together in unity? In every area, including the area of children. All right, so let's go to Luke chapter 2. Let's look at some blended families in the Bible. And we're going to start with the blended family. And it's the one that Jesus grew up in. Remember that Jesus was born of God the Father, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And that's how he was conceived. But Mary married Joseph. So in Luke chapter 2, you might remember the story, if you know the Bible a little bit, about how they went to Jerusalem, and when they left, they had traveled for a couple of days, actually one day, and they realized Jesus wasn't with the, the traveling troop. So they, had, they went around asking for, you know, asking relatives and friends, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And they realized after a while, we left him in Jerusalem. So Jesus was the original home alone child. But no. <laughs> He was like, ah, no, I'm just kidding. So actually it was the opposite. Jesus stayed because he was meeting with, he was actually learning from the teachers of the law. So he was sitting in church for three days, asking questions, giving answers, you know, trying to learn more about his father, God. So when they finally found him, the Bible says in verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. Son. His mother said to him, notice it says his parents. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to who? Us. Your father. Well, who's she talking about? God, the father wasn't trying to figure out where Jesus was. He knew exactly where he was. He's talking about, she's talking about Joseph. Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. The King James Version says we have been sorrowing or we have been grieving. So notice that they did what most parents would do. If you lost your child in the mall for 30 minutes, you probably lose it. Am I right? Anybody ever had the experience of a child just going to the other side of a store and you don't know where they are just for a few moments? The fear that grips your heart? 
Am I the only parent that's ever had that experience? Or am I that bad of a parent? <laughs> Come on, even a few minutes and you hey, oh my goodness. Can you imagine three days? And can you imagine if you also knew that your kid was the son of God and you lost him? <laughs> oh my gosh. She says, man, we were sorrowing. But notice it wasn't just Mary sorrowing and Joseph saying, well, he ain't my son anyway. I knew he was no good. Joseph was sorrowing because he cared about him. Then if you keep reading, we jump down to verse 51. We read what Jesus did. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Obedient to who? Just Mary, because that's his mama. That's his bio mom. Mary and Joseph. And that's what we heard in our Blue Table talk here is how kids in the home should be obeying both parents. Now, particularly when it's a new situation, you need to let the biological parent be the one that's a disciplinarian for a while. And so give the children some time. But ultimately, they need to submit to both, right? So notice this, that in one sense, Joseph really adopted Jesus as his own son. And that's not all that special. I mean, there are couples that adopt kids all the time. There are couples that adopt kids from Haiti and China and other places. In fact, there are probably some people in this room who were adopted by parents that loved you very much. They didn't just adopt you on paper. They adopted you in their heart. I've got a cousin, Pastor Carrick. He's preached here a number of times, and he and his wife adopted her niece. So, you know, they have three kids that came from their marriage, but they have an older kid that is her niece because of her home situation. And when he talks about his family, he always mentions he has four kids. Is it four or three? I'm, I'm losing sight. It is four, right? Okay, don't tell him I said that. Anyway, um, we all, it's all these girls around, so he has all girls, I got all girls. There's something like the butler anointing on our generation is all girls. I mess with my cousins that I have not been married like Y'all gonna have girls too, watch, you know. But yeah, you know, and he loves her. And they take care of her and they care for her and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then there's another way in the Bible that you see a blended family at work that isn't really God's best. So in Genesis 21, I'll give you an idea of the context. We won't have time to read all of it. But Abraham and Sarah had not been able to have children. And they had had a promise from God that if they went to the land that God told them to go to, Abraham would be the father of many nations, which means he would have children. But after being in that land for, I think it was 10 or 11 years, Sarah gave up. She gave up on her having children because at that point she was 75. And she couldn't even have children when she was 25. So she goes to Abraham and she says, listen, I'm going to give you my maid, Hagar. You can have sex with her. I'm sure Abraham was like, what? The child that comes from that, we will treat as though it's my child. Abraham being the great man of faith that he was. 
said, no, Sarah, we're going to believe. No, he didn't do that. He said, okay, you sure? You ain't going to be mad? You ain't going to come back at me? You sure, so? You know the story? He does. Go in with, and he sleeps with Hagar. She gets pregnant. She has a boy named Ishmael. But God's plan wasn't for Ishmael. Sometimes we do that in life. We create Ishmaels. You know, we know what we want to accomplish. We feel like God's not taking, God is rushing, or not taking enough time, excuse me. So we rush in and do it our way. Some of us married Ishmael. Some of us have Ishmael jobs, Ishmael cars, Ishmael houses. Some of y'all wearing some Ishmael clothes. You got Ishmael iPhone. You know, you just did it on your own. And every time you do that, you pay for it. You look back and go, I wish I had just waited on God. So God's plan was for him to have a child through Sarah. So the Bible teaches that 13 years later, God finally got Abraham to the place of faith that he needed to be at, got Sarah to that place of faith where she needed to be at, and they had a miracle child at the age of 190. His name was Isaac. They have this huge celebration of his birth. And then the Bible says that Sarah caught Hagar mocking Isaac. Now, I don't know when, it doesn't tell us what age he was when this happened, but how many know that was stupid? And Sarah's like, get this woman and her child out my house. She wants him to kick him out because of how she feels. Verse 11, and the thing was very grievous. The word grievous here means to be broken up. Abraham was broken up over this. Why? Because of his son. The message translation says this gave Abraham great pain. Because what he's being asked to do is to kick his son out of his life. Because of the feelings of his wife. Let's not forget it was her idea. So he has this 13-year-old boy, and that's about, that. that's about the age when a boy needs a dad more than any other. When he's 13, he's about to be 13, 14, 15. See, he needs a man in his life. He's supposed to kick this boy out of his life, and this is not like even now where, you know, you can always FaceTime someone, jump on a plane, etc. He may never see this boy again. She's making him choose between her and his child. Now, this story was unique because God had a plan for Isaac. And so when we get to verse, uh, the next verse, I don't know, you guys have this on the screen. I forgot to give it to the team. But it says, God said to Abraham. So notice Abraham talked to God about this and God talked to Abraham about this. Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman and all that Sarah have said unto thee, hearken unto her boys, for in Isaac shall your seed be called. So God had a plan for Isaac. Ishmael was going to be an issue. So God is saying, hey, this is actually what I need to do anyway. But I want you to notice that Sarah did not handle this the right way. She got her way because of God's plans for Isaac, not because of her emotions. And, and if you're reading this story, you're hearing the story, you're thinking, well, you know, I get that. See, God told Abraham to send the other kid away. 
tell me you're the evil stepmom without telling me you're the evil stepmom. Come on now. That ought to tell you something right there because you're not thinking about the kid or the person that you're married to, right? And so Mary and Joseph handled this the way that God wants us to handle this. We are one. These are our kids. Sarah did the opposite. And, you know, even though the kid was hers at first, well, now that I have my own, kick him out, no matter how it makes you feel or how it impacts him. That's not what God wants. Biological parents care very deeply for their children. And it's very unwise to make them feel that they cannot be a parent to their children without upsetting you. And if you resent your spouse's children, your spouse will eventually resent you. So instead, you got to do the opposite. You got to choose to deeply care for those children just like they do and recognizing they are now your assignment from God, just like they are your spouse's assignment. Adoption means they are mine. Right. And practice. They have a couple parents because these are my kids, too. I might be bonus dad or bonus mom, but I'm dad. I'm mom. And we can do it for, you know, kids that we adopt from down the street, kids we adopt from overseas. We do it for our pets. (laughs) The pet didn't come from you, but you love the pet. We can definitely do it for the kid or the person that we're supposed to love most of all. All right. So let me give a couple thoughts here for people who are dating. And I'm going to go a little farther. Because if you're dating, I want to throw this out here uh, to help you with this. If you are not willing to love the kids of your, the person you're thinking about marrying, because that's really what dating is about. The purpose of dating is marriage. It's not just to hang out. It's not to have somebody to sleep with. Amen. Amen. It's marriage. So if you're dating somebody, you've been dating for a while and you've gotten to a place where this is serious and they have kids. If you're not willing to love them in this way, don't marry them. If you can't or you don't love them enough to love and adopt their kids, let them go. So so that somebody they can find somebody who will. Second thought. If you can't handle their baby mama or baby daddy being in the picture without it being a consistent issue for you, don't marry somebody with kids. One thing is that uh, Jimmy Evans mentions, he says, in almost every blended marriage, there are ex-spouses somewhere in the picture. And because children are involved, those ex-spouses will always play a role in the dynamics of your family. You will probably at some point be tied to them financially, either through shared property or through alimony payments. You will be tied to them physically because of their shared interest in your children. You will be tied to them emotionally because they will always want to have some say in how the children are raised. You'll be tied to them spiritually because they have open communication with your children and are able to pass on values and ideas that you may or may not always appreciate or agree with. So that's an issue. And you're saying, hey, man, I, this isn't for me. Understand that. See, you got to understand. You got to be honest with yourself. For some, being a part of a blended family is simply not for you. So if you know that, date accordingly. Right? If being in a blended family is a death sentence for you, and it's not a death sentence. Some people love it. But if it's a death sentence for you, if it seems like that, then you shouldn't join one. 
And if you're dating somebody and they have a problem with you being a parent, spending time with your kids, etc., that's a huge red flag. Because you're not just bringing somebody into the home for you. You're bringing somebody into the home that's going to be a major influence on the lives of those children. And you don't want those children to feel like they are a nuisance. They are resented. They are not loved. They don't deserve that. So Ephesians chapter 6, somebody say, we are family. family. Once again, I thought about making you sing it, but I'm not going to make you sing it. So if we understand these things in a blended family, we understand that God looks at the man and the woman as, as one and those kids belong to both of them. We understand that we really are to adopt those kids and, 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 and love those kids like Joseph did with, with Jesus and the like. Then, then let's, let's take a closer look at how life operates in that home. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. By the way you treat them. Why does God even say this to fathers in general? He says the same thing in Colossians chapter 3. Don't crush their spirits because fathers can be too hard on their kids. So God is kind of blunting the edge a little bit. He says, rather bring them up. And I will say that sometimes as a father of a kid that is not yours biologically, you really have to watch that out. Watch that. Because as a father of biological children myself, I am a little softer on them then I probably would be naturally if they did not come from me. Can y'all understand what I'm trying to say? Like you have to train yourself to think differently and operate differently. And of course I have girls, so they can pretty much ask me for anything and, and they know it and everybody knows it. Um, but come on, it's a father's prerogative. Any father's got your daughter got her, got you wrapped around her little finger? Thank you for the three or four. Four the, that's four. That's five dads with their hands up. The rest of you are in denial. <laughs> no, so you got to be careful. Make sure everything you do, you're doing out of love, even correction. It's coming from a heart of love. We'll talk more about that next week. It says, rather bring them up, train them with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So fathers in the home are supposed to train the children. Proverbs 22, 6, bring up, train up a child in a way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's actually written to men first. So even in your home, if, if there are children in your home and you may technically be their stepdad, you are still the father in that home and you have the responsibility to teach, to correct, and to model for them how they're supposed to live their lives. The same thing can be said about the mothers. Titus 2 verse 4 says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To love. It talks about a maternal love, being fond of your children. That would apply to children in your home that didn't necessarily come from you. Be fond of them. Be like a mother to them and guide guide the house for them. Then John chapter 13. Because, you know, whatever your situation, you know, you might argue with the link, what I just finished saying, well, I don't know, biblically, I have to take care of him as a father. Biblically, I got to take care of mother, mother. Well, let's, let's, let's go this direction. Are you a Christian? Now, if you're not, this won't matter to you. But if you are, and you're in a blended family situation, you got to do what Jesus said. John 13, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you. What does it mean love each other? There are different Greek words for love 
in the Bible. We, when we use the word love, we, we use it in such a way that we love people and we love chicken. <laughs> I love my cat and I love my daughter. And how many know it's not the same kind of love? There is a type of love that is the highest form of love. It is called agape love. It's an unconditional, everlasting love. It's, it's the kind of love God has for us, and it's the kind of love God expects us to have for each other, including our spouses and our children or even stepchildren or even the spouse or the ex-spouse of our spouse. Let's read about it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. It says, love endures long. Put this in the marriage and the family relationship. Love is long-suffering. It's not short-suffering. The next time you say anything, ah, it's long-suffering. This whole opening scripture is about talking about dealing with people. Love is patient and kind, not cruel. Love never is envious. Love is not get jealous nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly. It does not act unbecomingly. Love is not, you know, it's not, you know, uh, blowing up the house. Anybody remember that movie years ago, Waiting to Exhale? And some of y'all, y'all are too old for that, too young to remember that, but you know, she, it's a little different situation, but she put his car on fire. It's like, well, anyway, I don't even know why that came. Why did that come to mind? The stuff that I ain't seen. I didn't even like that movie. Anyway, love, God's love in us does not, get this, insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking. We talked about this already. When you get married, you have to shift your thinking to thinking of your spouse before yourself. It's not about me. It's about we. That was the first week. Anybody remember that? And when you are marrying people, when you're married and have kids, whether they're stepkids or you have children together, you also have to shift your thinking to putting the children ahead of yourself. So as far as you are concerned, your spouse comes first, your children come second, and you come last. Love is not say, I need mine, I want mine, and if you don't give me mine, I got a problem. Love does the complete opposite, trusting that God will take care of me if I do things his way. Love is not touchy or fretful or resentful. When children are in a home where they have touchy parents, fretful, resentful parents, I did some reading about this a couple of weeks ago, and it talks about children that are in parents' homes with emotionally immature parents, are, are, are children that have a very hard time as adults. It, it wrecks them because they live their life like this. And so even when they leave the home, because they never know, and it wrecks them. So parenting, love doesn't do that. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to itself or wrong. Love does not have a long list of everything my stepson or stepdaughter said to me. Oh, boy. <laughs> love forgives, right? We'll go back to John 13. Jesus once again says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. First John 2, 6 says this. He that says he's in him ought to walk as he walked. So here's the question then. How would Jesus parent those children? 
If he were in your place, what kind of parent would he be? In John 15, 13, Jesus said this, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If that's true for your friends, how much more for your blended family? So I want to give you a few tips. I'm done. Y'all get anything out of this? I shouldn't say I'm done. I actually got a couple great thoughts here, but I'll just give these to you. Number one, put your marriage above all else. We talked about this already. Have weekly date nights. You know, you know, there's a, comes a point where, you know, the kids need to go to bed or you need to separate from the kids every night. Let's spend some time together. Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, eight o'clock, whatever it is. Right. Make sure you have a note, that time together. Go on vacations alone. You know, don't just always bring the kids. Don't always just go where the kids want to go. Your spouse comes first when you are dealing with, as an individual. Uh, just don't be the spouse that's putting yourself first. You get the difference? Number two, fully accept the responsibility to parent the kids. Fully accept the responsibility to parent the kids. That means adopt them in your heart, spend time with each kid individually, date the kids. Fully support them and their dreams. They have games, be at their games. It's not hard to win kids over. It really isn't. They just need to know you care. Pray for them, love them. Number three, establish new family traditions. Establish new family traditions, a family dinner, a family game night, a family. I was reading in that book I mentioned to you, and they talked about how one blended couple, what they did was they decided to have a family Sunday where the wife was the one that married into the relationship. And what she did was she made sure they set up a day every week where the father and the son went and did something themselves alone. So the son would feel like he didn't lose his dad, but he still had a bond with his dad. So establish new family traditions. Number four, communicate, communicate, communicate. Jimmy Evans says this conflict within a step family has to not only be acknowledged, but dealt with openly and honestly. We looked at the scripture a number of weeks ago that talks about if you have ought against somebody, you go to them and you tell them about that. Maybe you can win them to you. And we've already talked about the best way to communicate, be slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to listen, talk with respect. Number five, establish clear ground rules for dealing with exes. There's an ex-spouse in the picture. Don't communicate through the children. You're putting them in a tough spot. Let adults talk to adults. Don't compete for your children's attention or affections. Well, you know, they bought them this. I'm abiding this. They can love you both. Or they can love all three or four of you. Do what's best for the children, not just what you or they want or your ex-spouse wants. Sometimes it amazes me how adults forget that they're the adults and they're the kids. And so we're doing stuff. I want this, I want that. And what about what's best for the kid? Because you're grown. You could go do anything. They are stuck with you. And they can't just go and take care of themselves. That's why God gave them to you. So don't, don't make your kids feel like they're a part of the Maury show. I ain't the father. I ain't the mother. You the father. I mean, come on. That's how kids run away. You know, or the newest episode of Housewives of Detroit. I don't even know if there is a Housewives of Detroit, but you get the point. The best blended families are the ones where all sets of parents work together and get along for the benefit of the kids. 
Another piece, and I gave you establishing clear, clear ground rules for dealing with exes. Another one is don't obsess over the ex being a part of your life. I was reading once again this book, and I'm going to read this story to you. It talks about a couple where uh, it was a, he talks about this was a, a likable and loving man that this woman married. But for whatever reason, you know, she deeply resented the fact that he had to pay child support to his ex-wife. And so he says here, for some reason, she deeply resented this arrangement. From the moment they married, it was her biggest complaint, and she never quite got used to the idea. Every time he wrote out his child support check, she would become angry and resentful. It was something they argued about on a regular basis, although I'm not sure what she expected of him. They were his children, and it was his responsibility to see that they were cared for financially. She should have been glad that her husband had such a strong sense of responsibility, but that's not how she chose to see it. She instead allowed the issue to become a huge source of contention between them. So several of my relatives talked to her about it, but always to no avail, she continued to resent the child support payments her husband made, and it became a constant source of struggle in their marriage. They eventually divorced. And though I'm sure there were other factors involved, this issue was always their primary source of conflict because in reality, it wasn't the money that upset her so much. It was the fact that there would always be this third person involved in their relationship. Because of her husband's children from his previous marriage, she thought his ex-wife would always be an emotional and financial drain on their family, and that's what she resented the most. And so she made a choice. She made a choice to resent the ex. She made a choice to allow her feelings about that, since she didn't want to deal with it correctly, to harm the marriage, and it destroyed the marriage. So you got to make a decision whether or not you're going to obsess over the ex or not. They are there. They're not going anywhere. Let it go. Make it work. God knew they were there, and God still put you together because he has a plan, and it's a good one. All right, going back to the next one here. I've given you really seven tips. Number six, take the high road with your partner's ex. Sometimes you have their ex is an awful person. And they're awful in every way. And, they're, and you know, they're, they're trying to mess with you. And they're trying to mess with your parents. They're trying to mess with your kids. And what do we do? We love our enemies. We pray for them. Right? We do good to them. And often, and often when there is an issue, let your ex, your spouse deal with their ex, not you. We've all seen those TV shows and we all read those stories about somebody's spouse dealing with their ex. That never ends well. Right. And then last but not least, be thankful for the new family God has given you. As Jimmy Evans says, be thankful for every day your children are in your I want to encourage you today, recognize that God gave you the opportunity to be an amazing, blended family. Do things God's way and watch him cause things to be good and pleasant for all of you. Amen. Come on, anybody, give God praise and glory for the word of God. Thank you, Father, for the word. And every head bowed, everybody closed in prayer. There may be someone that will say, Pastor, you know what? You talked about God's way of doing things and and you know what, I don't even really know God. I've never even become a part of his family. I've never chosen to follow Jesus. I don't know that if I were to die today, I would go to heaven. The Bible teaches us in, first, uh, teaches us in Romans chapter 11 that when we choose to follow Jesus, 
we get to be adopted into God's family. We get to be adopted into heaven. But we actually have to say yes to him. Jesus came, he died, he rose again. So you would have the choice to become a part of the family of God and to live the life God has for you and for heaven to ultimately be your home. Today, I want to encourage you to choose God. Choose Jesus. Choose heaven. I want to help you to do that. Someone may say, I made the decision to follow Jesus, Pastor, but somewhere along the line, I got away from God. I'm far from God again. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, which is written to us as believers, that if we confess of our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Very simply, God says, I'll forgive you and cleanse you. The world says you got to clean yourself up and then you come to God. But that's not how it works in any area of life. No, God says, you come to me, I'll clean you. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll get you on the right track. If you've gotten away from God, we want to help you to come home to him today. And so I've given two very simple invitations. The first, to choose to become a part of God's family, to follow Jesus. The second, to get right with him or come home to him. If either one of those invitations apply to you today, if you want to say yes to God concerning either one of those areas, I want to encourage you right now to be bold and to lift your hand. Go and lift your hand now, and I'm talking about you. If you've never chosen to follow Jesus, you're ready to give God your life like he gave you his. Lift your hand. Or if you want to get right with God today, you're ready to come home to him, lift your hand as well. Even if you're online somewhere, lift your hand because it's not really about me seeing it, it's about God seeing it. I'm seeing that you're ready to make this heart decision. Well, if you raised your hand or you know that you should have raised your hand, I think there's probably, there's some in here that have a battle going on in their heart. I'm here to tell you God's future for you is better than what you can create for yourself. Give him a shot. I do see that hand. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me from your heart. And I'm going to ask everybody to pray it with you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today to give you my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I confess with my mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. I repent of sin. I'm sorry, Lord. I turn away from it, and I receive you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer, for answering my prayer, and for saving me now. Father, we thank you for those that have prayed this prayer for the first time and those who have chosen to come home to you. We thank you that because of their decision, they are a part of your family now, which means all of your benefits belong to them. So we ask that your power work in their lives, helping them to win in whatever situations they're facing. We pray that you help them to know you more and more, to find freedom through relationship with other believers, to discover their God-given purpose, and to make a mark in this world. And we give you the praise and glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give a round of applause to those that made that decision. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.